in the past, this is what our education system has valued. And yet there are all these different kinds of intelligences, a creative intelligence, problem solving, the kinesthetic, being able to mm. kind of move, mimic, spot things in people's physiology and know what to do with them to help them. And there's all these different things. So is, is there any of that dumb kid remaining in your identity, would you say? I think that I can doubt myself. And then when I doubt myself, I'll be like, oh my God, I'm not clever enough to do this. Those moments become less. If I, even if I look back at myself just 10 years ago, I've come on so much in that. Even this time last year, if I looked at where I was, you know, again. So I think there's elements and there's aspects in certain situations. But on the whole, I would say, no, I think I've definitely moved on and grown from that just because I didn't get top grades in my English or maths or I didn't come out with, you know, my first class honours degree. I'm still intelligent in my own right and in my own way. Absolutely. Yeah. Welcome to the She Leads Business Show, where I shine the spotlight on female owners of growing small and medium-sized businesses. You're in the right place if you want to ditch the stress and firefighting, stop working too many hours, despite having team members, and never compete on price again. I'm Una Doyle, founder of creativeflow.tv. I'm a speaker, business strategist, and impact coach. Business owners hire me to help them to build a business they could sell tomorrow, but they probably don't want to because it's highly profitable. It's fun to run because they and their team are in creative flow and they get to make a bigger impact on the world. In every episode, myself and my guests share the strategies, stories and wisdom to help you to achieve this too. Now, let's get on with the show. Hello and welcome to She Leads Business. I am so excited to be here today with Emma Panday. Welcome. Hello, thank you for having me. Oh, delighted. I'm really excited to mm -hmm. dive into your story and you know, to find out more about you and your business. I always like to start with who's the person behind the business? So Emma, tell me, where did you grow up and what was most significant for you when you were growing up? Okay, so I grew up in, in Essex in England, in a small townish called Grays, very close to Lakeside Shopping Centre is where most people would normally associate it. Again, growing up, I, I had that typical, you know, 80s, 90s, growing up with my mum, my dad and my two sisters. We wasn't a particularly wealthy family. My dad was a police officer. My mum was a, a stay-at-home mum. Growing up, I was always that shy child. I wasn't very confident in myself or my own ability. I think my teachers would all say to me in my school reports would be, Emma has the ability to, but she lacks confidence. <laughs> Right. So, yeah, I think, and with that, I, I wasn't somebody that excelled in school. I was brilliant at sport. I, that was where I was happiest, doing PE, playing netball, riding my horses. Any kind of sport was where I was at my most happiest, I would say. Yeah, left school with not the best GCSEs in the world. But I think it was a very different time back then as well in terms of education right now is so important if you don't have those high, higher qualifications trying to get those jobs are quite difficult but back then it wasn't really a priority so I left school just knowing I, I loved sport and wanted to go into a sport career and that was literally all I had I went to college and did a again not being the academic I did the what was a class then as your GMVQs 
So I did a level 2G in VQ while I reset my English and maths, <laughs> then went on to do my level 3, which was then a BTEC in sport and exercise science. And that's where I think I really started to come into my own, if I'm honest. I was doing something that I absolutely loved. I was doing sport every single day and I was all right. I, I loved the rehabilitation side of it. So I was like, sport, rehabilitation, that's it. That's going to be me. I finished college and my old school was looking for anyone that had experience within sport. They wasn't looking for teachers. It was in 2000. There was a massive national teacher shortage. They were really struggling. It was the eighth worst school in the country. So I ended up falling into a teaching role as an instructor. I was only meant to be there for one term. I ended up doing eight years and my, and that, that's where I think my confidence really started to come because I've been the, almost the dumb kid in school, didn't do very well. I then got myself into a teaching role. I then excelled in that environment and it was down to the people around me. I had people around me that believed me and randomly, I actually started teaching in the school that I went to as well. So some of the school, some of the teachers that were then, sorry, they were actually my teachers. My PE teacher, for example, she was my PE teacher that was in like my colleague within my department. And they believed in what I was doing. And let's say eight years later, I was still there. My, my head at the time put me through my teacher training, put me through a degree. And I do, I hold my hands up. I was lucky. It was timing for me at that point. It was the right time, right place, right time. And I, I was lucky. At this point, I'd never actually passed my GCSE English and Maths. So I was, I still was plowing away with it. I have an actually, even now I have an absolute hatred towards mathematics, <laughs> numbers and you will see me just freeze and go, ah, <laughs> but yeah. So I then had a family and I relocated from Essex to Norfolk with my family. And it was there that I was like, okay, I need to do the final part of my teacher qualification, reset my English and maths, pass them <laughs> at the age of what I was, think I was probably about 31 when I eventually passed, obviously. As much as it was the right time, right place in terms of the support that I had when I was going through my early career. It was a long, it was a much longer process than if I'd actually finished college, went to uni and did it that way. So it was a longer process, but I did definitely have that hands-on experience while I was doing it. But yeah, at the age of 31, I finally got my GCSE English and Maths, finished my teaching qualification, become qualified in teaching, but also had my interests were changing and my lifestyle was changing. I had three young children by this point. My career wasn't as important to me as it was raising my family and I was then just went part-time and at that point I think I was always looking for as much as part-time for me as a person I needed the work I loved being with my children but I needed that outlet of still knowing that I'm working and that's me and that bit of independence that it brings to you and then I went yeah so I went back after having my daughter every year after that I was like I want to get out of teaching. I want to do something else, but I don't know what I can do. And every single time I'd started to actively started looking for what else I could do. I was given a promotion. I was given additional responsibility. So it just kept me in education probably for about seven years longer than I actually wanted to be <laughs> because I kept falling into these different, and it's security. All right, teaching's a secure job. You've got a regular income. You know what you're getting at the end of every single month. You're always going to need teachers in England. It was that security and kind of having that courage to break out of that. In 2016, I lost my mum very suddenly. And if I'm honest, it was a big wake up call for me. I think a lot of things in my life I'd been questioning come to that surface of life's too short. Don't just do it because it's safe. You have to take those risks. And after, you know, really reevaluating myself and taking a step back, I've never taken time off in my life from work from that stigma of don't ever go off stress because if you go stressed you're never going to get another job anywhere else or anything like that that was back then. I did I took some time off work, evaluated 
my life and what it is that I wanted to do. And I made the brave step of stepping out of education. What I did do at that point was I actually took the time to evaluate. So what did I enjoy? I was currently managing a curriculum area at that point in a school. So I looked at what was my, what did I love doing about my current job? And I loved the curriculum planning. I loved the quality assurance. I absolutely loved the recruiting. I loved working with my staff and seeing them develop and thrive as well. With that, I'd left obviously my job not having anything to go to. I enjoyed the recruiting and dealing with my staff. Took a, a job working for a Filipino company just to get some understanding and start to form a bit of a plan. I could do this and I could do that. And it was like my brain was everywhere. And at that point, started to streamline it a bit. Okay, I'm doing some business development in this company. I'm enjoying that corporate, that business world. Okay, before we dive into that, yeah, go back to some of the things that, that you've shared. Okay. So something really jumped out at me when you were talking about your journey and yeah. kind of said that dumb kid. Yeah. And, and that really jumped out at me because I think yeah. our identities can be very strong. Yeah. And you said that when you were, you said when you were younger, you were a shy child. And then you said I mm. wasn't very confident. But like listening to you now, you don't seem shy to me. And yeah. I think a lot of the time there's, it, it's really interesting, you know, what people consider shy or not, or introverted or extroverted. Mm. So one question I've got for you is, do you see yourself as more introverted or extroverted? Introverted, but once I know you're not comfortable, extrovert. extrovert. <laughs> okay. And, the, and the, this is the interesting thing is that, so my husband is what I would call a sociable introvert. I can bring him anywhere. Just not very often. Yeah. Oh, this, you really need that downtime. If we were to have arrangements with friends every single weekend, get to week three and he'd be like, oh God, can I stay home, please? We've been out yeah. in a row. Yeah. It's, it's too much yeah. for him. I'm an extrovert. I can go out every weekend. Don't yeah. get me wrong. I like to have my downtime and rest and all of that mm -hmm. as well. So there's differences in how we process. So introverts tend to think on the inside and only speak when they can have a conclusion extroverts tend to think out loud and might often go oh I didn't realize I thought that until I said it I yeah. was wondering which of those would you resonate with most honestly a bit of both because like I say if I once I know you I'm quite outspoken I, I can go into any social situation now I could go into any social situation I could talk to anybody but I'd always hold back slightly in those I'd always wait I'd never be that one to jump in with my opinion or view straight away. I'd, I would always listen a bit first. Then when I think I've got something to say, then I will say it if I think it's meaningful enough. So yeah, I'd say, I'd say I was a little bit of both in terms of where I would sit with that. Again, if I was to reflect my younger self, I would say I was a complete introvert. That Yes, I'd like to go out and in my little group that I had, but put me outside of that and I was completely out of my comfort zone. Now I would say I'm probably more of an extrovert than I am an introvert, but there are still those qualities about me that I'm still quite, quite an introvert. And the reason I'm asking is because the things that you said you loved doing, so yeah, curriculum planning, that sounds, is that like design yeah. innovative or is it more yeah. detailed scheduling kind of thing you're talking about it's a bit of both actually you've got the design of it that comes in when you know you've got your curriculum and you're like okay we've got a map out what are we what do we do when how do we do it how is it going to look how is it going to be delivered to the students but then you've got the detail of it is literally it's going to be we're going to run from september to october from october to 
December, you've then got that detail that goes in it and the mapping of how you would deliver that curriculum and when each part comes to it. Again, mm. the creative side is when you're looking at which units match together, what ones are completely separate. So you really have to know that creative side of it. If you're going to do quite a theory-led one there is a lot to talk in, then let's match it with a practical one. Your students aren't sitting there for six hours a day just listening, you're talking at them. It's really making it quite quite that both. So they've got a balance of the two. And that, um, so yeah. and that was the other thing that you said. It was all very people-focused. So that's why yeah. I was curious because quite often people associate being shy with being introverted. But I think often mm. a lot of the time being shy is more about the comfort zone and because, as you said, like you're extroverted when you're with your friends, <laughs> yeah. the recruitment, the developing, the staff development, seeing them thrive, that's very much mm. a more extroverted kind of thing. So, yeah. yeah, I was just curious about that. What do you think was at the root of that lack of confidence then as a child? And it's interesting when you do talk about even now, when you get to know people, you can talk to them, you're holding yeah. yourself back. There seems to be, I get a sense of a little bit of, guardedness yeah I definitely say I'm, I can be guarded Do you know I couldn't even pinpoint it to anything I've been asked this question before especially when people that I knew when I was younger that they've you know I've come into recent contact with some old friends for example and they're like oh my god you're so different from what you used to be like in school and I think part of it is just growing up life experience being in that that working world but also I've got children and I'm the example to my children and I don't want my children to think that it's it's okay to be someone that's not very confident, that sort of thing. So setting that example for them, I think, is probably where it really changed. I love that. Because you know, quite often when I'm working with people and they say things and they're perpetuating certain patterns and experiences, I'm mm. like, would you want your children to be that? Oh, no. What do you think they're learning no. from you? <laughs> it's yeah. Like and when you, that's exactly, when you say that, like... Even from when they were born, I put so much time and energy and effort into their education. I think because I had my own educational struggles, I didn't want them to have the same struggles. So I would put a lot of time and effort into their reading. Their Don't get me wrong, I wasn't a taskmaster where they'd be sitting there going, you must do this for X amount of hours. It wasn't like that. But just that general, I would put that time and effort into come home from school and they'd have their reading books. We'd spend that time reading. We'd do their spelling. I didn't want... I didn't want my children having my struggles and I wanted them to... I don't want them taking eight years in their life to get to where they... They wanted to be at that point when there was other ways that they could do it as well. So it was, yeah, I just didn't want them to feed off of my own fears, worries and anxieties. So I had to go, no, no more. <laughs> Even if I am inside, I try not to show it to them. <laughs> I think you talk about struggling because I suppose in a way our education system really prioritizes, and you mentioned it several times, maths and English. Mm. Yeah, you know, I didn't pass yes. maths and English until I was 31. But so many different types of intelligences. And it's yes. really interesting that you excelled in sport, which is a very kinesthetic kind of intelligence. So people can be, I think a lot of the time people assume, oh, if I'm not good at exam, if I'm not yes. good at the kind of more academia kind of intelligence, then that means I might be a dumb kid, as you said. But actually, yeah. you, you couldn't be further from the truth. It's just that in the past, this is what our education system has valued. And yet there are all these different kinds of intelligences, a creative intelligence, problem solving, the kinesthetic, being able to move, mimic, spot things in people's physiology and know what to do with them to help them. And there's all these different things 
So is there any of that dumb kid remaining in your identity, would you say? I think that I can doubt myself. And then when I doubt myself, I'll be like, oh, my God, I'm not clever enough to do this. But that's that gets fewer and fewer. The older I get, that those moments become less. If I, Even if I look back at myself just 10 years ago, I've come on so much in that. Even between a year ago, <laughs> this time <laughs> last year, if I looked at where I was, again. So I think there's elements and there's aspects in certain situations. But on the whole, I would say, no, I think I've definitely moved on and grown from that just because I didn't get top grades in my English or maths or I didn't come out with my first class honours degree. I'm still intelligent in my own right and in my own way. Absolutely. Look, if you look at some of the most successful business people, they haven't been academic either. No, that is very true. (laughs) So I think a lot of the time, I think it's always best not to compare ourselves. There's certain times where we need to measure things in our business or we want to compare improvements in ourselves. I I think that's always a much more valuable mode of measurement like how much have i improved rather than looking to compete with others but if you are going to compare then look at other people who have been successful like there are many people who have successful businesses that maybe didn't even finish school let alone have a degree which you now have i didn't leave school and go to uni straight off after either i ended up doing a business degree as a mature student at night school so it does take longer five years that it took me yep. to do this and I got divorced, separated. And here's the interesting thing is that that degree didn't help me when it came to setting up my business. In fact, it was probably a hindrance because it made me think I knew what I was doing when actually I didn't. Mm. A business degree doesn't teach you how to be a businesswoman. My degree definitely didn't teach me to be a business person. No. <laughs> it, it didn't even really teach me to be a PE teacher at some sense. I was going to train after that anyways. Exactly. And yeah. I think this is what happens with a lot of small business owners that they haven't been taught how to be the owner of a small or medium-sized mm. business. Um, particularly if they have had that more corporate or academic experience in their yeah. life, when they leave the business, when they leave that world and set up a business, it's a very different kettle of fish because you suddenly don't have multiple departments supporting what it is that you're doing. You, you got to the point where you were just starting to share about the first job that you took after taking time out of work. Yeah. Yes. So I took some time out and I left my, my, the education sector at that point. Oh my God, what am I going to do with myself? Like I said, all in that time, I'd already used it to be, I'm quite a reflective person. I think I've learned to really reflect back on what's going well, what's not going to, what are my strengths, what are my weaknesses, that sort of thing. So I'd already done some time with that and I knew what I really enjoyed about my job, knew that I had no experience in that world. So I was like, I need to go and get some experience. I need to, I'm, I can't go into something so naively. So I took a job in a recruitment and outsourcing company that was based in the Philippines. And very quickly, I needed it for about six months, but very quickly, I learned a lot. I wasn't given any formal training. I was given that they knew my background. They knew they took me on knowing that I had no business development or, or, or real recruitment experience as such. A lot of my, my recruitment experience is I'm given the CVs, I'm screening CVs, I'm doing the interviews. So that side of it, I was absolutely fine with. I can see whether or not someone's matching the job. I know what I'm looking for within it. But in terms of the actual sourcing, finding the candidates, that I was never trained in. So I had to learn very quickly with the use of LinkedIn, with the use of podcasts, YouTubes, 
Google in general, looking at little like courses, that sort of thing. I basically spent six months while I'm on the job training and upskilling myself in recruitment and out and outsourcing. And that was basically how I then formed my current. We started off as a educational recruitment company specializing in apply teachers. There's a massive shortage. We can't get teachers in our UK schools. Everyone's wanting to leave the profession because of the workload, the demands, the pay, everything else. There's lots of reasons. So I was like, I'll start a supply agency. I can recruit teachers. I know what schools are looking for. I've had two successful teams. So I was like, okay, I'll do this. With that, things were quite slow. Like when we, when I'd actually started to launch that side of things, it was coming towards summer holidays. Obviously there's no schools open over the summer holidays. So I was like, I need the work in. So I opened up to all types of recruitment. And took in various different roles from admin to IT to, to anything really. Just took those roles in and started generating, opening my skill set up. I've got my best friend slash business partner who works alongside me as well now. I brought her on board to, to help me because I was snowballing a little bit too fast. And I was like, oh, I can't cope with all of this. And then with my experience from what I'd got at my previous company, I started offering outsourcing services. And as much as my company, Phoenix, we started as educational recruitment, I'd say that's probably actually a fraction of what we really do. And most of what we do now is actually outsourcing. Um, so we do provide outsourcing services to the recruitment. So if you've got large companies that have got big recruitment campaigns coming on, they will, rather than them employing a dedicated recruiter that works on those campaigns, they will outsource it to, to our company. We will give them a recruiter that works on their accounts that will source just for them and screen and just for them. But we also do the business outsourcing as well. So virtual assistant, business development, lead generation, sales. So we do a lot of that as well. Again, skills that I never had, but I've learned very quickly. A team that I now have around me, we've looked to know where their skill sets are and we've learned where each other's skill sets sit. And then they're the ones that will work on that aspect of the outsourcing. So say my, my, my partner, she hers is sales. She has got a sales background. So for her to pick up all the sales outsourcing makes sense. I'm good at managing. So I'm, I would do the managing of the accounts and overseeing of everything, making sure everyone's happy, making sure my clients are happy. Yeah. With that, we're obviously still also doing the education side. We, we expanded very quickly and completely unexpectedly, which is a nice problem to have. <laughs> but it's still a problem. I'd rather it that way. It's still a problem. <laughs> but yeah, I'd rather it that way than the other way. Very interesting, actually. I think a lot of, I think a lot of business owners think, oh, when I get to six figures, oh, when I get to seven figures, they feel like when I get to this arbitrary amount, then I won't have any more problems. But the thing is that every single stage of business has its challenges and it has its benefits. And so it's, yeah. I think a lot is about, okay, which are the challenges that you want to be dealing with? <laughs> and work, work towards like that the level. <laughs> Yeah, I like that challenge of growing quite quickly, <laughs> trying to almost catch up with our company rather than the trying at the company trying to play catch up with us and our again. So yeah, it's certainly it's riding a bike. It's very hard to get momentum if you're still, but once you're yeah. going, it's a lot easier to find your balance once you're actually moving. Yeah, and sometimes I'll have conversations with people. I don't really tend to work with startup startups who haven't even got going yet. But I might meet people networking or at a party or whatever. <laughs> yeah. And you, know, you get into conversation and sometimes they, they're not taking action because they're waiting for everything to line up. And it's like, it never lines up. You have to get going and then 
things start to line up afterwards. Yeah. And even with what you said about your business, started off in the supplying, the supply teachers game. Mm. But now that's only a fraction of your business because you added yeah. another service. And I want to go back and talk about the partnership because I think partnerships can be really interesting. They're brilliant mm. when they work and they can be very challenging when they don't work. And I'd love to understand more now. So obviously you two had a relationship. You're best friends. What is your business partner's name, yeah. by the way? Her name's Janet. Janet. Um, she'll kill me for doing it because she's she gets quite shy. <laughs> she's not here. <laughs> Janet, no, don't be mad at Emma. I'm the one asking the questions. <laughs> <laughs> no, she completely was like, no, you can do this one by yourself. Yeah. So we actually met through our children. Both of our children do karate and they both compete on the England team for karate. And back in, oh, I want to say it was 2017 now, they met because both of our kids had trialed for the youth squad for England, which they both successfully got onto. And then they went out to Helsinki together as oh, part of that team. Mm. Yeah, so that's, and then it was actually on that trip that we all been, uh, bonded as parents. We all formed this bond. We're all quite, it's, it's quite an insular kind of sport. It takes up so much time and it's so isolating for that athlete because what they actually do is quite a lonesome sport. So actually us forming as parents, we got our little network, but then the, the children got their own network as well, which was really, and they're still friends even to this day. That group that all went to that trip are still friends now. And if you see them together at a competition, it's like they haven't been apart. It's lovely. But then the parents are like it as well. So that's how Janet and I met. And over the years, we just got closer and closer. As friends, she's a single parent. And she's somebody that I really looked up to because, and look at what she does for her daughter and how everything she does is about giving her the best that she can. And it, it inspired me. And I also at the same time saw the struggles and when I was given this opportunity, to, you know, when I took the opportunity to start my own business, I was like, if I'm ever going to ask anyone to come and work for me, I mean, wouldn't say that she's not a formal partner. I always say she's my partner, but she's not really my partner. She's more, she works for us, but because she was so close, I use her almost as my partner because she's my sounding board of everything. And I was like, if I'm ever going to do this with anybody, it would be her because yeah. everything she stands for is what I stand for. It's about creating a better life for our children, inspiring our children. We're both mothers that are working. We're both women that are working in a very corporate man-led world. So yeah, and so she had the experience from the sales and the lead generation and the business side of thing. I had the experience from the managing and the education and we just kind of fusing it together and it actually works real well and we really complement each other and bounce off one another. Fantastic. So it's great that not only do you have complementary skills, but you recognize you have complementary skills. <laughs> yes. I've come yes. across this where partners are different. So they've got different natural strengths and abilities and personalities. They've been going, well, if you were more like me, you'd be more successful. And the other person's going, if you were more like me, we'd be more successful. <laughs> Not realizing yeah. that they can actually harness each other's strengths. And through that, yeah. no, there's weaknesses irrelevant. Yeah, no, I definitely feel that we do complement each other and there are I'm, I will hold my hands up when it comes to all the accounts and that's, I don't have a clue. I've never had to deal with it in my life. I don't know, but, that, but she does. So I, she deals with that side of things and it's just, you're looking at what you need to do to run a business and I'm quite happy. I'll deal with the clients. I'll manage the clients. I can manage the team quite well. She does a lot of the back office stuff for us really well. So it just, yeah. So we've just figured our own little pattern out and where we complement each other rather than go against each other exactly i sent you from where we had we talked before i sent you over some video trainings 
Yes. Which I know you went through. And in fact, you, you said Janet I, had a look at them as well. Yeah, she did. She did. Yes. <laughs> so what was your kind of biggest insights from that? I think the thing that I took from it is the importance of that flow. And when you are in that flow, how it's that productivity. And, and I can, I could relate to it because a couple of weeks ago, both Janet and I just went, Rah, because everything kind of snowballed so fast. And like I said, we almost had to play catch up with the company and where the company was going. It was, we don't really have a plan in place because it's taken such a different avenue from what we started. And it highlighted the importance of that for us to the point that we actually stopped and went, okay, let's just hold fire. Let's not take on any new client meetings right now. Let's just put our plan into place. Let's look at what is our company and who are we? And from that, we've come out, we've got three verticals from it. We've got our recruitment outsourcing and we do some customer service and call center. So we said, okay, so actually already in our minds, we're much clearer, which then helps us to flow onto the next stage, which we need to do. And it was like, like you'd said in the video, when you're flow, when you're in flow, you're more productive, your productivity increases. Your stress levels reduced because you're actually doing things. Time completely disappears because you're just enjoying what you're doing. And there was that part where you'd said, oh my God, it's already an alarm's gone off. Oh my God, is it really time? And I could so relate to it because that's us. There's been times I'm sitting there. Yes, the kids are coming in from school. I'm still sitting there working and I'm not stopping because I'm actually, I'm going to get this done because I was really enjoying what we were doing. So that was something that really helped. It also helped in terms of just some key things that I think that We'd already thought about, but didn't really want to admit there was that part where you'd said, don't fear failure. And it was like, that's so true because we're, we've been so worried. We can't fail. You know, we don't want to let our clients down. We don't want to do so. We don't want to do that. So no one wants to upset their clients, but it actually, sometimes it's okay to fail because if you don't fail, you don't actually learn from it. And again, coming back to the feedback part, again, it's probably stuff that we already knew, but it was somebody telling you it and just going over it made us look at it in a very different way than probably looked at it before so yeah we took quite a lot out of it that we've actually planning and we're planning to do like 90 day plan is another thing that we're like well, we've never operated on that we just well, this is our plan this is what we've got to do so actually having those 90 day plans having the short medium long-term goals within it as well so to keep that flow going no i've actually learned so much from it <laughs> so when we spoke you said your number one challenge is what is it that makes you different from your competitors. Yep. How do you actually stand out? How do you grow the company on a small budget? It was things like that. And you were talking about how you wanted to be able to step away from doing the actual work. Yes. So that you could focus more on the business. So yeah. now that you've gone through those different trainings, so about flow, about market domination mm -hmm. position, the kind of five steps to double your profits etc what would you now say is your number one challenge i would now say it's our horses it's that having more staff to do to so you can pay them to to work the accounts yeah and by doing that allows me to step away so that is and that would i would say is our number one one challenge is that resource come in the form of your revenue, having the staff. It's, it's all well and good. Even if I had the money right now, so I'm going to take on 10, 10 people. It's, are they the right people to come on, to, on board? So again, that's just a, t and it comes into time. So that then becomes a time factor to recruit the right people in the right location with the skill set that you want. That, that's also going to work with us and complement us. So we've got, and we've now gone from, we went from me to Janet to now we've got a team of eight people and 
say all of us know what our skill sets are. All of us have, we've bonded as a team and we work very closely. And I think that's something that was always really important to me was that we do work closely. And I've always worked on that and managed in that way. Knowing our strengths and weaknesses, knowing our limitations and not being afraid to say, can you, can you help me? Because I don't understand. And I'll be the first one to turn around to, to my recruiters and say, I don't know everything about recruiting please teach me because I'd want to learn because then I can help you as well. Yeah, so I'd go to resources and time is probably our biggest challenges that we face. But with that, again, going through the videos and us coming up with our plans now and creating that flow almost, we can already see what's going on in the future. We're not just looking at what's going to happen today or tomorrow or next week. As some, sometimes you do literally when you're starting up a business, you're going day to day, week to week. We are actually looking, that's okay because we know that in three weeks time, we've got this contract coming in. And then in four weeks time, we've got this one. So we've got, we know that now we've got our plan of we can grow again at this point. And then at that point, so we've almost got a growth plan with it as well. So that's what's really helped us, I think, is really looking at our challenges and going, okay, let's look at our plans, look, look at what's coming up in the future and looking at how we're going to resolve some of the, these challenges that we're finding at the moment. When you say we've almost got a growth plan, so it sounds to me like, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, it sounds to me like what you're saying is we can grow here and we can grow yes. there because of the available resources. Yes. So that's not actually, so it's not actually how so, are you going to grow? We have that as well in place, but in terms of, yeah. So in that sense, so we know at this point it's going to be a bit of a particularly good month or because we know we've got X amount of contracts coming on, et cetera. But in terms of how we're going to get there, we have also got that plan together as well. In terms of to start with, we were just like, okay, we're a startup company. Let's just go for everything and anything. Don't worry. We'll take it along. We'll take on the world. But that's not realistic. And again, reflecting our own skill sets, we need to know our limitations because if we end up going for everything and anything and we get the clients on board, we're not going to do them a service. And I don't want to have a reputation of being a, oh, a one, one hit one day. You do one or two good things and then the rest of it's just no good. I don't want that. I want to build long lasting relationships with my clients. So with that, we've had a good look at our own skill set. They're almost doing a bit of a skills matrix within the team and being looking at what my skill set is this, Janet's is this, then we've got my business development manager, Joanne, like her skills are this. And it's mainly the three of us coming together to like almost go, right, this is what we're going to do. And these are the type of companies we're going after because we're not, we don't need everything and anything because we're not going to get any traction we're not going to get any turnover anyway nothing's going to really be long lasting so it's actually what is it we offer what are we good at again this come off of the training what is it we're good at and now we've literally streamlined okay these are the type of companies we're going for these are the countries that we're going for because obviously to start with we were only uk and we are now we did go global quite quickly so it's now streamlining those where we're only hitting certain countries we're only hitting certain types of companies as well so that's where it's really helped us. So in, in terms of the resources then to support that growth, what do you see as the, you talked about time and money in terms of building up the team to support this growth. What's your, which one is the biggest challenge, the money or the time? Time. I'd say time because we know we've got the clients and the contracts. We know we've got them coming. So we know that's coming. It's the time to currently there's eight of us, but we're all working on the accounts. It's that it, time is going to, it's only, it, it's going to take that time in order for me to be able to take that step back to go, actually, I've now got two new staff members that can work those accounts and I can work on the new business ones. That, that's the thing. It's, it's a time element and managing that time effectively. Where do you feel the time isn't being managed effectively? 
I feel it on probably on new business because I think we're so conscious of trying to service our current clients and contracts and wanting to do a good job on those that it building a new business then becomes almost put to put on the back burner because we want to do a good job for those that are currently paying us. And, and that's a great ethos, obviously, <laughs> to be serving yeah. the customers that you have very well. So I applaud you for that. It's an interesting thing that quite often people can end up getting into this feast or famine cycle. Now, the great thing is yeah. that your income levels are, they are at a good level, particularly for how long you've been going. So you've achieved a lot for yeah. in that amount of time yeah. to get up to a team of eight of you is fantastic. Yeah. What can happen though, is people can get into a pattern of, okay, so we're going to, you know, we'll serve these new clients. Okay. They're now onboarded. Yeah. Everything is running. Oh, where's my next client coming from? So it is a matter of, there has to be a balance in the way that time is structured. And also it's about who's doing what within that. So it sounds to me like there maybe needs to be a bit of slight rejigging of roles and because if you knew so for instance with the ignition compass okay the personality profiling mm. tool yeah. that you'll have seen in the trainings yeah so in under in understanding excuse me in understanding what profile each person is then that would allow you to have more structure in the roles mm. than maybe you do now and in doing so, be able to get some things off your plate. Or maybe some of the things you think you ought to be doing actually could be done better by somebody else. Yes. No, I absolutely agree with you. That is literally where what we need to be doing is looking at that. Yeah. Yeah, because it's that it's shifting from individual flow to team flow. Team. Yeah. And yes. it's brilliant that you all get on so well. Yeah, it's amazing how many teams I work with where the people get on well. Yes, actually, the team isn't in as much flow as they could be. And it sounds like you are. Like, it doesn't sound like your team is out of flow. Yes, when you accelerate the flow you're already in, then things go whoop. Yet, unlike when you started the business and things maybe felt a bit, oh, gosh, Okay, this yeah. is great. Oh, this is coming in. How are we all oh, gosh, how are we going to manage all this? When you have a team in flow and they accelerate that flow, then it's actually a much more steady experience. So it's really about building momentum without the fear of the train coming off the track. Yeah, no, definitely. I would agree with you there completely. Yeah, yeah I see. So I think that's number one is kind of looking at that uh, team flow. Something I always like to ask when it comes to time is boundaries. So on a scale of one to 10, how good are you at setting and keeping to boundaries around your time and energy? (laughs) Awful. Yeah, I would say I'm terrible. I I feel that I'm, and my kids will probably feel that the most as well. I would easily say probably be about two, (laughs) being the worst. Okay. Yeah. So when you think about the boundaries, where's the biggest area that your time is leaking away? I would say the times when I'm sitting there and I'm like, I need to do this, I need to do this. But procrastination. Any of it. <laughs> procrastination. <laughs> the most time procrastinating. Yes. 
pearlescent, yeah, that would be it. You know, sometimes you feel so like overwhelmed with what you've got to do and what you've got to get done that you then don't get any of it done. Or you don't feel like you've got any of it done. It's right. probably the difference. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Really interesting. And mine. You're not alone, by the way. But just want you to understand that the vast majority of the people <laughs> on the planet have got issues of procrastination to some extent or another. Yeah. Okay. So tell me, what to think about the types of things. Is there particular types of tasks and activities that you procrastinate over more than others? No, I think doing paperwork and doing admin roles is probably what I put off the most. So when it comes to, and I know they're so important and it's, you've got a client come in that wants to sign contracts. I've got to read the contract, go over it, sort it out. It's those sort of things because it's so much detail in reading what you've got to put into it, making sure that it's all, everything that you've had, you know, your discussions are a true reflection of what you've agreed within the contracts. It's that because it's that attention to detail that goes with it. And I think at times my brain goes so fast. And it feels like it's working. I'm already in two hours in front of what I need to be doing that I then feel like I, I sit there looking at the screen going, I need to do this, but I've not actually got anywhere past the person. Yeah, I think that's when it comes to some more some more of the admin okay. roles and, and tasks. Yeah, you know, obviously client contracts are a very important part of your business and not things you want to get wrong. <laughs> very important. <laughs> yeah, however, I think there's a few things that you can always look at here. One is, what could be done in terms of packages. So where things are less bespoke, there's less opportunity for there to be a mistake in the contract. Also, things that have yeah. packages, often the fact of making things into packages makes them easier to sell because it's a lot easier for people to understand, oh, okay, so there's this package, is this amount, this is what you get, this is the results that you expect from it, rather mm -hmm. than something that's a bit more ethereal. Okay, so that's one thing. But then that actually leads into the contracts because then the contract is the same for every package. Yeah. And I think that's something that we've tried to be different from other people is we've tried to be a, a real bespoke service that we want to integrate and sit within your company. So sometimes the package packages don't fit into what we've tried to create as our unique selling point that sets us apart from our competitors. But I also take your point that when we've got that packages there it is easier to sell when your contracts are all the same and you're changing numbers right. and everything else yeah so, because yeah. those, those like things then it's well. a question of so, how yeah. much could you know is there someone else on the team who or and if there isn't sometimes there is a gap who's a person who could actually take ownership mm -hmm. of those things and it's a lot easier to have final sign off of something where the vast majority mm -hmm. of us is templated and these highlighted bits are the bits i just need to double check so there's certain things that, that's just one yeah. example of one task that that you might procrastinate mm. over and obviously not something you want to procrastinate over because presumably you don't get paid and contractors oh, no. yeah. but you no, know exactly. the other kind of exactly. you know, the other kind of paperwork and admin as well it, it's quite interesting like you sound to me like you're probably somewhere in the kind of nova and exuberant fuels on the compass that north east somewhere because we've yeah. heard creative stuff yeah. we've heard the people stuff so you know it's probably your flow mm. is probably somewhere in that's not where the paperwork sits <laughs> okay. yeah. paperwork is 
it's it's down no. south with the sensational fuel <laughs> no. where the people are great yeah. at timing, <laughs> doing the detail, implementing processes, all of that kind of thing. Yeah. And one of the things as well is like you said, you want to upskill, you want to grow the team, add more team members. And sometimes it's about figuring out well, who's the next person to employ. It's not necessarily a mini me. It's not necessarily another one of X team members. Sometimes it's actually, if we got this team member, that would free these team members up to do more of what they're great at. And then this team member could take on what they're not so great at. And this isn't about competency because I'm sure you're all competent at doing the paperwork or or whatever else it is that different people would procrastinate over. But it's really interesting because one part of procrastination is definitely where somebody is out of flow. And so I would say that paperwork and admin, it sounds like we don't know until we actually dive in Mm -hmm. and take the profile test and explore it, but it sounds like that paperwork and admin will be out of flow for you. (laughs) No, I'd agree with that completely. (laughs) Yeah, I would absolutely agree that it does take. Yeah, I'm the same. I'm the same. I (laughs) delegate as much of that. I delegate and automate and template as much of all of that as I can. So that I don't have to do it. <laughs> and, I, and I will just do the bits that I need to do that only yeah. I can do and no one else can do because and look, I mean, I've yeah. been in business a long time now. I can do these things. I'm competent at it. Do I want to? No. So I'll minimize it. I'll do what I need. No. You know, when I, as <laughs> yeah. a business owner, I don't want to abdicate responsibility. Of course, that's not what I'm suggesting to anybody, by the way. <laughs> so that's one reason why people procrastinate there's another kind of two to three reasons why people procrastinate so the kind of second and third are they're almost like two sides of the same coin fear of failure fear of success you already talked about fear of failure earlier yes where is that showing up in your procrastination yeah I think Okay, when it comes to doing the paperwork, it's the fear of getting it wrong for me. It's like, what if I do the wrong thing? What if I put the wrong part in? And even now, between Janet and I, we will still share the documents and we will still make sure and we will double check and proofread everything before anything goes over because I do feel like that fear of all. I just don't want to get it wrong. And I think that's probably something in me in general, if I'm honest. I have this fear of getting things wrong. I have a fear of not being good enough almost so that's probably where it comes through with me personally yeah and that not being good enough again is something that so many people experience and it it, I think what's really interesting (laughs) is that so much of the time people don't realize how much of their mindset stuff gets in the way of business let me ask you a question if you didn't procrastinate how many extra hours a week do you think you'd get (laughs) <laughs> okay, that's ten hours a week. <laughs> yeah, no, probably not quite that much. Probably a slight exaggeration. No, I find that there's always that time in the day as well that I would end up procrastinating more than I would at any other points, and it would be the hours of between one thirty and three. That's probably my least productive hours, and that's where I typically end up. I've done a lot of client meetings in the morning. I've worked on some of the accounts. The afternoon is where I'm trying to catch up and all the admin ready for the next day, and that's probably. And that is that time of day when you naturally have a slump in the day. It's just before the kids get home from school. You've already had a full day. And because we work in very different time zones, I could have been going since six that morning. 
already feel like I've done the day's work. So I think, yeah, that's probably my biggest point of procrastinating is between those hours. So if I was to say though, I'm probably losing about okay. seven hours. And that's not <laughs> in the call sequential, that's a whole work day. Yeah. So if you work that out over, yeah. over a year, yeah, then exactly. assuming four weeks off, that's 48 days that you get back, which is like a month and a half. Mm. That's not working days, actually. So hang on. No, a month would be... So that's actually about two months. That's scary when you say it like that, how much you just, isn't it? Imagine what you could do. Yeah. But I think, you know, if we're talking... Oh, I know. Imagine. But just thinking about it and thinking about going back to one of our challenges with that time issue. Again, it's, you know, that's an, looking at the timing, I think I still in that routine and in that mindset or I've got to work nine till five. That's my hours where actually I have to take that step back and go, well, do you know what? I know that those hours are my least productive hours of a working day. And I'm probably almost better off stepping away from work at that point doing some housework, cooking the kids dinner, whatever it that may be, and then coming back to work a bit later and being more productive for a shorter period of time rather than sitting in front of my laptop going, I've got to do that, and then don't get anywhere. So I think going back to those challenges and how to resolve some of those, I think that's something I need to change my way of working exactly. as well. And there's, a, what's they called it now? I think they called it intermittent working. You know, you got like intermittent fasting, but I read something last mm. week about intermittent working. And it's yes, interesting because yes, yes. I've been working <laughs> that way this year. And I'm absolutely loving it. So I, I actually get up right now. I get up at five o'clock. Mm. I start work at half five. I spend a minimum of two hours working typically on my business, apart from the odd. When I say client emergency, I just mean, oh, I, there's something I need to get done. <laughs> mm. But generally speaking, I'm working on my business. And then I take a break. And in that break, I do exercise, have mm. breakfast, get dressed for meetings, self-care, meditation, journaling, all that kind of stuff. And so I'll start work again, usually mid-morning. And then I take a longer lunch break most days, not every day. So every today, I go about half an hour. But a lot of the time, I'll take an hour and a half for lunch. I might have a nap. And, and then I'll finish usually five at the yeah. latest, maybe half five. And very rarely do I do anything in the evening. So for me, now I don't have children, so I don't have school runs mm. and those kinds of things to deal with. Yeah. But the point I'm making is that it's your business. You control when you work. Yeah. I think that's something I'm still definitely getting used to and and getting away from that traditional world. You own a business, you have to work 24 hours, seven days a week with no, no rest. I think there's also trying to break away from that stigma that's associated that if you want it to be successful, then you have to do all of this. But yeah, and no, I absolutely agree that it's that intermittent working that actually then when I am working, I'm going to be so much more productive with my time and my management skills rather than just then I've got rest is important. Yeah. And I'm really curious as well. And the only way to know is to try this out is I wonder those hours, mm. 130 to 3, I wonder how much of that is a biorhythm of that's when you do have a natural slump. And how much of it is you're having a slope because you're doing work that's out of flow. Yeah, it's going to take a testing to to try out different things and to try out different structures. And this is the thing, you you definitely are a creative person to some extent or another. I'm a creative person. I think when I first left, I know, when I first left corporate life, I was like, I'm not tied down to a timetable. <laughs> and I actually, I went the other way. And yes. I had zero timetable, zero structure. And it was good in some ways, but it was not mm. good in others. 
And so now I probably have the most tightest structured time that I've ever had in my life. Yet I'm actually enjoying way more me time, energy, productivity. Mm -hmm. And this is part of flow. So one of the things I do when I'm working with my clients around flow is actually help them to create what I call a weekly flow framework. And then that allows us to put in place um, to put in place a framework for what you work on when that is aligned with your 90-day plan. So actually your weekly flow framework should change every 90 days, probably not hugely. And the first few times you do, the first time you do a weekly flow framework, most people change it like constantly, <laughs> not constantly, but every few weeks they'll tweak things mm. and it can take like a good, I'd say three to six months to really get to know what works for you. But putting that in place also means you're taking advantage of time blocking. So you don't, you're reducing the amount of interruptions and the amount of times that you switch context. So this context switching is when our brains, it's like going from steam mm. to water, to ice, to water, to steam. And that can take a good 15, 20 minutes to really get back up to steam again. So there's, a, I think there's a few things there around, like, and it's interesting because we started talking about fear of failure and we came back to the paperwork and you're not wanting to get things yeah. wrong. And then you were talking about, well, actually, I'm doing this at the wrong time of day. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. So I like, typically yeah. I do my finances. So I follow profit first. So I do profit allocations, checking cash flow, all that kind of stuff. I don't do my bookkeeping, uh, my accountants do that, but I do this. I do it typically first thing, Monday morning. Okay. That's when my energy is at its strongest. So, you know, if you're good in the morning, then you, you want to try and timetable things to have the things you're mm. weakest at at those times. So I had a client recently say, oh, I'm loving it. I'm doing X, Y, Z on a Friday afternoon and I love it. I feel like I'm just playing and it's almost like I have the afternoon off and because they're doing something that's totally in flow for them and they really enjoy and they're finishing the week on a high. So how yeah. we structure, and there's different ways of approaching it, but how we structure that is very powerful. But I also want to go back and address, mm. I, I don't want to skate over the that feeling of not being good enough. So I can't help thinking, that that must go back to that shy kid that wasn't confident, that thought of herself as the dumb kid. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely think it does go back there. And after my mum died and some other personal issues, I did actually go through therapy. And we, it's something that we, we did address a lot of was what are your reasons why you feel that? And I've never really kind of, I, I still can't pinpoint it. Okay, that's my reason why I feel like this. And, it, and randomly, I was with Janet on the weekend. She said, you always have to prove yourself. And I think, again, it comes to that not feeling good enough. I have to prove my worth almost. And I think that's probably what it is. It's almost you're told you're not confident for a long time. You're told that you're, you're not clever enough to be in that set and you're going to be in this set. I suppose that sub, somehow subconsciously has knocked me internally out somewhere and created this in my adulthood where I've this desire to prove myself that I actually know I am good enough and I am better than what you think or you thought I was or that you put me in a box where at such a young age you go you're just this and maybe that's where the education system failed me because I didn't have I had some teachers that were brilliant like my PE teachers etc who totally embraced the fact they excelled in certain sports not so many other bits I might have found a little bit challenging don't get me wrong I'm only five foot three so jumping long jump was always a little bit tricky and <laughs> <just> like that <laughs> 
but yes, yeah, so maybe it was a, it is a case of proving that I am good enough and you put me in a box and I was almost failed because you didn't want to look outside of that box and try to draw the best out of me. And I've had to be resourceful and, and do that myself. And, and I think that's one thing I could say about myself is I am resourceful and I am, I think I'm quite a resilient person as well. Um, yeah, I definitely think there is something down to, I think it would go back to my educational experiences. And that could be enough. I think sometimes people feel, yeah. oh, there, there has to be some major trauma. And if there wasn't a major trauma, yeah. then why am I feeling like this? It can simply be yeah. some little, a little thing that was said that created an expectation, a negative mm. or positive expectation. Because sometimes the positive expectations of trying to live up to them can create the same challenges, those same negative patterns yeah. that you talked about of not feeling good enough, of wanting to prove yourself. I absolutely, they are all kind of wrapped up together and there doesn't have to be this huge thing at all. But th this is one of the reasons why I, when I pulled together my impact-driven growth model i have mindset at the beginning of that at the center of that mm. it's all about business is personal unlike what it says in the godfather it really is personal <laughs> and it's so interesting like i've noticed that as businesses get bigger quite often the owners will end up investing more and more in the work around their mindset because a little tweak in their mindset can leverage that business hugely and mm. I think a lot of people who aren't on the inside and seeing that happen just think oh they're really successful they've got everything sorted here's little old me trying to struggle away to get over this imposter syndrome or this that and the other and they don't realize that actually for people who are very successful if anything they often feel more lonely you know that but people are oh I wish I had your problems <laughs> And they're like, yeah, but there's still yeah. challenges. There's still problems. So yeah, there's, these things all kind of work together. So not being good enough, caring too much what other people think, not approving of yourself, wanting to prove to others, expectations, mm -hmm. pressure, all of these things, they're all interlinked. So, because when somebody doesn't feel good mm, enough, definitely. when they don't approve of themselves, they don't feel good enough, they care too much what other people think. So therefore are driving themselves to prove themselves and they have expectations of themselves. They have expectations of other people. They have expectations about what other people think of them. And all of those things create an internal pressure. Mm -hmm. Does that sound familiar? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Yeah, no, it does. I've always thought I'm somebody that I don't really care to. I think I've grown to not really care what too many people think. And I think maybe deep down, I probably do care what they think. And I do, I do think actually, no, I want to prove to you that I am a successful person and I'm not going to let any of this stuff beat me and I will win. <laughs> I'm quite, a, I'm a competitive person as well, but I'm not competitive necessarily with other people. I'm competitive with myself. So if I set myself a goal or a target, I'd have to achieve it. Otherwise, I will feel a complete failure. Okay. And, and not everything works in business first time round. No. This is one of the yeah. other beauties of 90-day plans, is that you are able to constantly measure, review, tweak, tinker, figure out what does and doesn't yeah. work, go again and 
if you take an attitude of experimentation rather than I've set this goal and if we don't hit this, mm. it's a failure. That can be exactly that yeah. shift in thinking about those things can be very helpful. I think the other thing is actually just looking at shifting these patterns of the way you think, the way you feel, the way you behave, because you can see that in doing so, it's going to give you two months in your business to work on your business. You're going to feel better. You're going to feel yeah. better about yourself. And I guarantee you, it will have a knock-on effect on many other areas of your business as well. Because whenever somebody yeah. has a fear of failure and wanting to prove themselves, on the other side of that, there's also the fear of success that I mentioned earlier. Okay. Yes. And, and you might yeah. even have had that popping up in bits where you kind of go, oh my God, is this really happening? What? And exactly that. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And not because it's, not because you're not, I'm not sitting there going, oh my God, I'm so worried being successful, but it is that realization that actually we're doing this and we're doing it and we're actually creating a business and it's almost like a shock factor as well it's that that, that shock that comes in that it's I've actually done that <laughs> yes you have yeah and in, in the short space of time as well that we've done it that's that yeah it, so you've got the success of it in the short space of time then you've got the fear of what it come really quickly am I going to lose it just as quick you then have that as well exactly so all of these things are really important to address now now I can mm. say to you and I believe this 100% you are smart. You are a successful woman. Thank you. But I could say this until I'm blue in the face and it probably wouldn't make that much difference because until you believe it, you won't fully receive it. Yeah. No, I totally agree. Thank you. That's really kind of you. It's true. Yeah. And if you want to, when the podcast airs, you can go, okay, I need to, every day I need to listen to this X many minutes, X many yeah. seconds, hit, hit repeat. <laughs> um, I'm going to do that. I'm just going to front. We can talk about how you can actually, what you need to do to shift those things because it, mm. unfortunately, now, it won't stop you, but it will slow you down. And also make, like, just what you said there, it came fast. Am I going to lose it as fast? When people mm. feel, because that's the other thing that comes in as well, in when people don't believe they're good enough and they feel the need to prove themselves, they often don't believe they deserve the success that they have. So what's going to happen? Yeah. There's going to be some level of self-sabotage. Mm. Okay, so we want to make sure that we, we stop any of that might be happening and make sure that's happening in the future because otherwise you're going to achieve success where you already are achieving success. I don't normally interview people on this podcast who are only yeah. a few months into their business okay, this season mm. focusing on people who are usually at least a few years into their business but when we spoke I thought actually I wanted to do it because you have achieved great things and I wanted to share yeah. some of what you learned and, and things like that you have that you want to make sure that you then don't start stop doing things that work <laughs> Or somehow, mm. to totally unconsciously, because no, this is generally speaking, people don't know they're sabotaging themselves. That's it. You don't go out with that intention of going, I'm going to sabotage. I'm not going to do this very well because I'm going to lose. No. You don't do that. It is a subconscious reaction to something. So, exactly. yeah. No, I, 
definitely don't want to be doing that. No, no. So we'll we'll talk about that. One thing I do want to ask you though is uh, just for our listeners. So you listening right now, what was it? Do you think that caused your growth to be so fast in the beginning? I think we got a contract came in that first of all gave us the ability to not have to do any other work so we only worked purely on our company and it also gave us all that confidence and belief that we can actually do this and it was us having that confidence and belief in what we were doing that then got us the next contract and then the next contract and then the next contract after that and then it was like actually we are doing this we're getting these contracts coming in we're working and then it gave us that confidence and belief in ourselves so it was probably that first moment that we signed that first contract where we was like yes we can do this (laughs) brilliant Love it. And in terms of how people can replicate that, then one thing I would say, because people might be going, okay, I've had dribs and drabs and I'm going, and in fact, I might even have been going a few years, but I haven't had that kind (laughs) of growth that you have experienced. So here's what I would advise is that now, obviously it's a bit different if you've got a product-based business and a service-based business, but if it's a service-based business, like quite often, like a lot of the people I talk to, they're not attracting the kind of client who is willing to pay the prices that they would like to be charging. Now, also that doesn't help. They haven't got a strong market domination position and they end up competing on price. But here's what I would say is do the work, help somebody get a testimonial, get a case study. You then have the proof. Yes. Number one, you've proved yes. it to yourself. Number two, you can demonstrate to other people, this is what we can do. Now, you might need to do that for for at a lower price or even for free uh, and I'm not a massive I don't I'm not talking about doing work for exposure that's a totally different kettle of fish okay so doing work mm. for exposure is you know, when people ask it, quite often people in the creative industries to do that it normally doesn't get the exposure they don't get what they need from the exposure exposure yeah. typically doesn't bring them clients however helping one client to achieve a particular result that you can then take that and de- show here's what I've done for X company. Here's what they said about it. That's a lesson that they can all take from the growth that you had. Now, obviously, if you can do that with just go after that bigger contract and see if you get it, maybe you already have the track record, but if you don't have the track record or there's some gap in the way, then that's what, you know, you can do to shift that. And the other thing I think inherent in what you said as well is you said it, that one contract allowed us to be able to focus on the company. So yet you had yeah. the money there to be able to do that. And sometimes that, what yeah. people are doing is not charging enough. And then they, no matter how busy they get, they don't have the money to be able to do that because they're having to spend too much of their time servicing their clients because they're not charging enough. They can't afford to hire in. Look how fast you've managed to scale up your team. Yeah. yeah. So do the work, get those examples, make sure you're charging enough um, and go after that bigger contract. Go after that big fish that you're dreaming of. Emma's done it. So can you. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <did> absolutely. <laughs> so Emma, what do you think has been the most significant thing for you in our conversation here today? Mindset is clear that you know if and again it come through on your videos that if I'm in the right mindset 
my team's also in the right mindset. And then if I'm in the right mindset, my flow and productivity is going to be more, is going to be more beneficial. The other thing that I'm really going to take out, and I'm actually going to sit and do this after, literally as we get off from this call, is I'm going to block my time. So I'm going to go, I get up at the, I'm starting work at this time to this time. And that's what I'm doing in that time. Then have a break. Then I'm going to do this. And I'm going to factor in, because I love exercising, but I feel like I never get a chance to do it these days. To factor in that exercise and to help with my mindset and keep me focused. So I think that's what I'm going to take off from it is how I'm managing my time. Because then I'm setting the example to my team. I'm setting the example to my children, which is what I started it all for in the first place. <laughs> So, yeah, so I think that's definitely what I'm going to take from it. And the hope in that way will then mean that if I'm going right, the first hour of my day is I'm just going over all contracts. I'm doing some admin as an example. When I then go into my next task where maybe I'm servicing one of my contracts, I'm not worrying about I've still got to do X, Y, and Z because it's already done and I've put it to bed and that's done for the day and doing it at the start of the day, not the end of the day where I'm at my least, where I'm at least at like productivity not working as much and wilting a little bit yeah and I think that's definitely what I'm going to be taking from it a couple of other things again that I've already spoke about with Janet beforehand it was about putting a 90-day plans in place so it just allows us that more frequent time to reflect and go this isn't working this is work we need to do it this way let's try that and not have that fear of failure and I think personally as well it is trying to shift my mindset and not go after the approval of such as well so yeah, I've taken, I've learned a lot, <laughs> taken a lot, and I would definitely be applying a lot of these practices into what we're doing and how we're running and structuring our, my business. Fantastic. It's always great to hear when people apply what we've talked about, because that yeah. gives me a great warm, fuzzy feeling. Mm. And and it will yeah, help no, you definitely. to have a much more profitable business and a better lifestyle. That's <laughs> why we will start working for ourselves, isn't it? <laughs> People want freedom. It's a lifestyle. Yeah. You know, business owners. Yeah. Yes, I talk in terms of profits because that usually makes people's ears prick up. But actually what they really want, yeah. they want time freedom. They want financial security and freedom. They want freedom to <laughs> work with the kind of people that they want to work with. Clients, team members, suppliers, etc. And generally speaking most of them want to make a bigger impact in some way exactly that is definitely where we are absolutely emma where can people find you so you can find us at on phoenix-recruitment.co.uk our website will be up and running we've also linkedin you've got my linkedin which has then got all my contact details on there as well with my number linkedin profile or just send me a message over fantastic and as always we will share those details in the show notes Emma, thank you so much for being here today, sharing your story and being so open in our discussions. And I'm excited to see where implementing these things is going to take you next in your business. It'll be meteoric growth. <laughs> oh, no, thank you so much for having us. And thank you so much for letting me come on. Like you said, you don't typically do startups. So thank you so much for letting me share my story. Absolutely worth it indeed. Great. Thank you, Emma. That's all from us now. Bye for now. That's all for today, folks. Have you subscribed to get more of this juicy goodness for your business? If not, tap that button now. Remember to check the description for links mentioned in this episode. Did you enjoy and find value in this free broadcast? I want you to know that I go so much deeper into the topics discussed with coaching and workshops based on my impact-driven growth model. Want to know how I can help you to double your profits without spending a penny more on marketing or ads? 
Let's arrange to hop on a call to discuss your goals and challenges and I'll show you how. Plus, when you book, I'll send you some free training videos too. Go book now at creativeflow.tv forward slash call with Una. That's creativeflow.tv forward slash call with Una.